0: Alright, welcome. I'd like to get into things pretty quickly today, so I'll just leave a reminder that for anyone who is new to the show, please pause, jump back, check out the quick intro. It gives a lot of great context about what this project is really about, and you might be a little bit confused if you don't, so I, I suggest anyone who's new to, to check that out. That's the intro. It's the very first episode of the show, and it's only about seven minutes long, but for those of you who are returning, just another reminder to subscribe to our Substack newsletter. That's Substack.com. We've got some supplemental content coming out on a weekly basis, so it's the best place to keep tabs on the show and, and show your support. It will always be offered for free, so that's always an option, but anyone that is really getting value from the show and feels compelled to support, that's awesome and, and obviously appreciated. But other than that, we'll jump right into it. So thanks for giving this a shot, and I hope you enjoy. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. today. I know it's been a while, and I guess now is a reasonable time to explain that life has gotten a little bit busy and a little bit complicated, and I simply haven't had as much time for this project. And to some degree, I lament that, but to some degree, it's been helpful to take a little time and space away from the project. But ultimately i'm here right now it's looking like every other week i'm able to fit an episode in versus once a week so for any of you listening now i i really do appreciate you sticking around and and tuning back in but yeah it's it's certainly been interesting to to see a lot of things come into place at once and to have a lot of i guess uh, additional stress and complication in life, but also a lot of new opportunity and, and I guess, reason for excitement. So I'm really not complaining and things generally have been going quite well for me. But at the same time, I just simply have not been able to put aside the necessary time and and effort it takes to, to make this all happen at the rate that I'd really like to. So for the moment and for at least the next couple of months. It's probably going to be in every other week kind of release schedule, but hopefully that's something I will be able to remedy soon and once things calm down and and stabilize a little bit and I get past this transition phase and and into a new job and just some other variables that have come into life, once I get used to all of that and in a little bit more of a rhythm. I'm certainly hopeful to get back to the once a week sort of schedule. But we'll see how that goes and again, thanks for sticking around. But yeah, it's a it's been an interesting few days. I guess the 4th of July just passed and I think it's always an interesting holiday for a lot of people because especially these days it's not obvious how one ought to feel, and I was just walking down the street today, and you see a lot of residual, I guess, artifacts of of the holiday itself, and lots of American flags, and generally patriotic things, and I asked myself today, are you proud to be an American? And I wasn't really sure how to answer that. Because I think a lot of people are, and it's in a lot of our I guess storytelling <laughs> as a country, and in a lot of our our music and, and our literature, the pride that that Americans ought to have. And again, I, I asked myself, are you proud to be an American? And my gut reaction was no. But I guess I ought to explain that a little bit and it's it's not that I'm it's not that I don't love this country it's not that I'm not incredibly grateful to have been born in this country and to live in this country currently it's not that I even think that this isn't the best country in the world at least from my experience that if you paid all my expenses and able to essentially upload whatever language was relevant to my brain, that I would go somewhere else if I had the choice. And anywhere in the world, I I can't see myself living anywhere else. So I, I really do value this country. And though I'm not an immigrant, my father and his family were. And I have a great deal of respect and, and gratitude for What this country offers and provides, but am I really proud to be an American? And it just really kind of trips me up because I, anyone who really pays attention to this show knows that I have some some long winded ideas about free will. And you could probably imagine how that relates to something like pride in general, where I, I was kind of forced to ask myself, am, am I proud to be anything? Is there anything that I am immutably that I'm proud of? Am, am I proud to be a man? Am I am I proud to be a human? Am I proud to have fingernails? I, I, I don't know. I don't think those are things that resonate with me. And so I feel like my general understanding of, of pride, and I guess I kind of looked this up just to confirm it, is that pride is usually tied to accomplishment or at least action. And so pride being tied simply to uh, a, a state of being that is not anyone's choice seems a little bit hard to to reason through, and maybe I'm just playing the semantics game because I've said I'm I'm grateful to be an American, and maybe that's what everyone else is saying when they say that they're proud, or maybe they're just saying I'm I love my country. Maybe, maybe they're just trying to be generally patriotic. They're trying to show their appreciation for it, but. It's something I I really tried to get there with, and I don't know if it works, but I, I feel like it begs a larger question, which is, is it reasonable to be proud of anything about yourself, or about anything that is just fundamentally true beyond choice? Is it reasonable to be proud of your genes? obviously, you did not choose them. And of course, the caveat is those who have come to this country by choice, in theory, have a much stronger argument for pride in their country because they had to overcome certain barriers. They had to make sacrifices. They chose to come here. So even if you subscribe to a more normative understanding of free will, And we're just saying that choices are choices and and everyone is an independent author of their actions that if you choose to come to a country, you look at the whole globe and you say, this is the place that I want to be because of X, Y, and Z. I get that. I get that that's something that is intimate and that is personal and that means something. But to simply have just been born here it's something I consider myself incredibly lucky to have, but I don't know that that ties me to anyone else. I don't know that I can necessarily be proud of my this group's accomplishments in a, in a sort of collective way any more so than I would with the rest of humanity. I don't know that I feel an attachment to all other people who are simply born on this landmass or this somewhat arbitrarily constructed <laughs> barrier that we've created around a landmass. I don't know that that means something to me. And the ideals that this country were built on certainly do. So I don't mean to be blind to that, and I think a lot of this whole argument comes down to what an individual thinks this country really stands for, what it represents, what it did back in the 18th century, and and what it does now on a global stage. And I think the the steel man of what America is and stands for is, is something quite beautiful. That has done an incredible amount of good on this planet that has lifted innumerable individuals out of poverty that has spread a a system across the globe that there's a strong argument for it being something truly unique and maybe that's something i can get behind, that's something I can say I feel like is important and that is worth spreading or worth just generally being an ambassador of. But at the same time, I obviously don't want to sign off on everything that this country has done, everything that has been done in the name of this country. I mean, I really don't have to explain that to anyone, I think, because why would, I mean, I don't think there's anything that could survive that sort of scrutiny, any sort of collective, any sort of country, group, race, ethnicity, anything that we could say, I, I sign off on all of it. I sign off on what I feel like it fundamentally represents, but that's, of course, subjective. So even if we're looking at any sort of label, any sort of group, to have pride in that suggests that there's a, a cohesive narrative about what that represents and what it means to be that. And maybe that's where I'm going with this, is that I, I don't feel like that exists, and I, I feel like it's a bit of a dead end. And I'm not trying to say that it's wrong to feel pride fundamentally, but... I feel like it very quickly goes someplace that becomes very, very subjective and can be a, a sort of rocky ground because if it comes down to the individual's perception of what that means, doesn't that debase the whole idea of what ties individuals together? But maybe I'm going down a little too much of a rabbit hole for something that was just a an open question to start with, so... I'll retreat a little bit here, but it I think it's an interesting question. I mean, who are you proud to be an American or wherever you're from or whatever groups you identify with? Is that is that a source of pride? Maybe. But anyways, back to me because that's what this is all about. Um as I led with. Life has been interesting recently. And uh, it seems, I guess I'll say it seems that it's nearly impossible to to move through life with a certain level of awareness without regular encounters with what one might call bittersweet moments. The moment we're born, we're essentially marching towards our graves, right? I mean, To love someone is to truly give them the power to hurt you. Great power really does come with great responsibility, and more money, past the point of basic needs being met, really does tend to usher in more problems. As far as we know it, all things are finite or at least transient. And on the most basic level, all life has evolved with certain advantages at the expense of other shortcomings and and blind spots. Even traditionally revered traits like beauty or intelligence, even kindness and resilience don't exist in a bubble. They all come with a cost, a cost we all pay every day and in a million tiny ways, whether we know it or not. And I say all of this mostly just to bring up the fact that as of late, I found myself turning to the term bittersweet quite often in a struggle to describe certain experiences. Though I largely stand by my use of the term, I've become curious about why I've come to rely on it and what I really mean when I say it. Generally speaking, it it seems quite clear that to describe something as bittersweet is to acknowledge a certain duality that permeates all things, or I guess to keep things more literal, to call something both bitter and sweet simultaneously, or so I thought, but a quick dictionary consultation reveals that bittersweet is more technically defined as sweet with a bitter aftertaste, which I suppose is a little counterintuitive given the structure of the word. Now, I tend to use the term both when something initially presents as off-putting or morbid, and then I become aware of its more positive nature, as well as in the inverse. So maybe I've just been using the word imprecisely, but I imagine I'm not entirely alone in that, but maybe this definition reasonably represents how we tend to encounter things in the world. And that might have something to do with how things are generally marketed, that something with a bitter aftertaste is generally more conducive to continuing to want it, where if something started bitter and then became sweet it would more so lend itself to a certain satiety that isn't particularly helpful (laughs) to anyone trying to sell you something and maybe it says something about human nature that we tend to be more optimistic than we ought to be or to have to allow ourselves to get carried away with expectations on the front end and then things More often tend to end in disappointment versus the inverse. We rarely let ourselves, we rarely manage our expectations well enough so that at the end of an experience we are surprised or more so rewarded with something traditionally positive, the cherry on top that we had no idea was coming, but maybe bittersweet just misses the mark a little bit in regards to what I really mean when I tend to say it, but isn't that how all language essentially works? We're never really describing anything in a direct sense, just the closest metaphor or label we can think of. What is purple, really? Sure, it's a word that we use to describe a color, but to get to the essence of what purple is as a color without referencing other colors is kind of impossible, or at least too tall of a task for me. So we're, we're always just using a term because we've agreed that it means something. But most words, when you really pressure them, you really inspect the definition, seem to fall a little bit short of how we actually use them in language. what we actually mean, but generally we're just trying to be as understood as we can. So maybe bittersweet doesn't deserve this much scrutiny. I don't know. I I certainly think that it's interesting, especially as we, I guess we've arrived at a point in history where something sweet, if you will, is, is always at our fingertips. It's always right there whether it's junk food, processed food, sweets, things that are incredibly accessible, incredibly stable, and incredibly sweet, (laughs) quite literally, can always reach for them, can always have that experience. But whether it's that or it's TV, the combustion of infinite streaming, social media and how endless it's become. I guess, old enough to remember when there was an end to it. You could scroll to the bottom of a feed and that would just be it. But now it's, there's so many platforms, the content is infinite in so many different ways. I mean, there's kind of an an endless list even of these categories, whether it be porn or mind-altering substances of, of any kind that, I mean, you can have it delivered to your doorstep, practically, and I'll be the first to admit I've tried my share of things on that front, but how easy it's gotten, how immediate it has become to have a drink, to have a smoke, to try anything, it's right there. There's almost no reason not to, it seems like. It's all just become so immediate and so simple. So almost involuntary. But bitter, to extend the analogy, is is not going anywhere. Yet we seem to be getting better at, at least temporarily, ignoring it. And it seems like we were maybe told a story about how the sweet side of things could just extend and extend and extend or expand maybe more accurately and that it didn't come with the natural ball and chain of the bitter just dragging along. It seems like Huxley's Soma is just around the corner. I mean, after a year like 2020, the concept of a virtual holiday is something we've all thought about a virtual vacation, but now it seems like we're all going on virtual vacations all the time, just the days in which we can genuinely check out completely, an a state that just makes us forget it all, that just makes a, a mediocre and, and dreary and senseless existence seem quite bearable and fine. It seems like we're really approaching some sort of advancement, I mean, or one invention away, whether it be on the VR front or the pharmaceutical front, or even just the next iOS update away from from really having escapes of that level. But all that said, an, an observation of, of humanity by a third party would conclude that we've collectively decided bittersweet is, is still worth pursuing especially in regards to things that start with pleasure and end in turmoil. I mean, nearly 80% of people who get divorced go on to remarry. About three quarters of Americans have gone into debt to pay for a vacation. We've decided that it's worth it. We do these things over and over again because we feel like whatever pleasure or enjoyment or value we can derive out of the things we've decided are meaningful in life. It's worth the downside. It's worth the fall, even if we know it's coming. And sure, I know plenty of people who have been divorced think that things will be different the next time around or that ultimately that people learn and evolve over time and it it takes time to get things right. I, I understand these things, but I mean, the statistic kind of speaks for itself. We've decided that even if we know things will go wrong, we still ought to try, it's still worth it. And to be fair, I mean, isn't that life? We we know that it's finite. We know that we won't always be here. And that's not a genuine argument for hiding in our house all day and simply guarding our health and safety over everything else. Because it's gonna happen. We won't always be here. And of course we ought to care. Of course we ought to want to stick around. We ought to want to be here for as long as we can in as healthy of a state as we can. But at a certain point, we have to say, I'm gonna take a few chances. I'm gonna go on a few rides. I'm going to accept the bitter that comes after this sweet. Even if I have to work a few night shifts or not go out to eat for the next few months or make some genuine sacrifices, it might be worth it to have this experience while we're here together. It might be worth it to let our kids eat cake It might be worth it to spend money that we don't have, to have experiences that we'll never forget. And though some of that logic I personally would push back against, it it seems to be what we've all decided on some level. And sure, you could argue that our species in some ways differentiated itself from others by being able to delay gratification and play long-term games, but still we take on the bitter with the sweet, even those who are aware, they still do it. And it, I guess it all just leaves me in this strange place of of wondering how to really think about this. And does the sweet really justify the bitter? How do I frame certain experiences that are both honestly really heartbreaking while simultaneously being moments that I, I genuinely hope I'll never forget. Moments that that mean things and that give me the life and the passion and the motivation to to just carry on in life with a certain relatively positive and grateful perspective. It's just hard to know how to think about these things and as some of you may know I've always been interested in eastern philosophy and a lot of the principles at the heart of of Buddhism particularly Zen Buddhism and recently it's it's something that has kind of flipped all of this on its head and though it's something I've always been aware of it Zen particularly what's this whole thing that I've been doing this whole time and its crosshairs and really exposes a lot of the pitfalls of, of what you might call logical dualism or just simply over-intellectualizing anything and, and everything. That is there. Is there a need to label things as bitter and sweet? Is that even really there? Is that the problem? And if things could be assessed from a more objective and neutral perspective, is bittersweet even necessary or desirable? Or do we need or want that? I guess need and want are very different questions there, but it certainly makes me wonder, is is, is bittersweet better than, than no flavor at all? And I guess maybe it breaks down a little bit there because For most, the obvious answer is that things that are bittersweet are obviously better. But I don't think that perfectly maps onto how bitter things can get in life. And people are used to the bittersweet chocolate, which is just sweet. But anyways, this this philosophy is not an argument for even complete neutrality or, or apathy or a life without any emotion a life without any enjoyment or satisfaction but it is an argument for cutting through as many illusions as possible in questioning whether or not it is valuable or necessary to constantly see things and experience things in and jump to that tendency to say, this is bad, this is good, this is bitter, this is sweet. Is this sort of emotional roller coaster? Does it give rise to a certain degree of instability that is impossible to transcend once you take it to a certain extent? But I guess something worth keeping in mind is even if we can transcend suffering as individuals on some level, its role in the lives of others is still relevant. So even if I personally could achieve some sort of state where I was impervious to any sort of external influence, that I had found some equanimity inside of me that could not be disturbed by anything, I I still have to have some sort of regard for the people that I care about and those around me. Again, nothing exists in a bubble, so even a a non-dual state of being that acknowledges that all things are fundamentally one and that all framing is, is subjective and unnecessary and to some degree illusory, even in that state, an individual still has to figure out how to relate to the world around them and the individuals that to any extent, still experience the world in a normal way. I know framing and and reframing are all the rage these days, and I see a lot of value in that tool. It's something I've talked a lot about on this show and and used a lot in my life. But how does reframing compare to not framing at all? (laughs) We're learning more and more about how brains can be reprogrammed. negative experiences can be reframed as positive, but I wonder if we're missing the point. If we can acknowledge the framing of all experiences as fundamentally subjective, wouldn't we be best served by not creating more illusory framings for ourselves to eventually have to see through in the future? It's certainly significant to be able to go from seeing a glass as half empty to seeing a glass as half full what if you could see that the glass was never fundamentally there at all? What if you could see that the glass itself is just as much of a projection as whether or not you use the word full or empty? And maybe that's getting a little abstract, but I guess this is why I I can't help but continue to emphasize the principle at the heart of mindfulness or Vipassana meditation and why it's so important. The principle of simply observing things for what they are without attaching any meaning or framing or even identifying with them at all, and when applied regularly, can genuinely change an individual's entire mode of existence. It's hard not to feel like much of modern philosophy and self-help and even personal coaching or therapy is replacing falsehoods with more falsehoods. Now, of course, replacing lies with better lies or harmful lies with more benign lies, or or even the scientific method to replace lies with less refutable lies, is is non-trivial. I just really wonder if we've already found the truth we're claiming to be slowly marching ever closer to, and it's just not as sexy or inspiring as we expected, so we've largely glossed over it. Maybe it's just too simple. Maybe it's just too clear. Maybe there's a limit to how much we want to cut through the illusions of everyday life. Maybe we want the bittersweet. Maybe we need it. I don't know. (laughs) I'm finding myself more and more so in relationship with it on a day-to-day basis, and I'm sure I'll... (laughs) certainly make note of it now, every time I use the term. I'm sure I'll use it again. Maybe I'll come up with a better one, but it's a problem I've been wrestling with for a while, and it's certainly not going anywhere. And I... I guess I'd say I'm someone who tends to have an easier time finding the silver lining. But Maybe I'm missing the point. Maybe the lining doesn't have to be there at all. And maybe being able to cut through these illusions a little more clearly and effortlessly is the road to a more sustainable and gratifying form of existence. That being able to upfront acknowledge that the emotional, the the visceral reactions that I have, the labels that I tend to put on things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the bitter, the sweet, the fun, the boring, maybe it's just all not that necessary. And maybe it doesn't mean anything more than I allow it to. And instead of bouncing from one side to another or (laughs) spending all this time looking into the duality of everything is blinding me to a more important and a more fundamental truth. But who knows? I know I could certainly use some chocolate now, so (laughs) I guess I'll leave things at that. We'll see how many times I get caught in the same logical dualism In future episodes but for now i'll see where things fall and arise when i resist that tendency to create these venn diagrams in my head and we'll see what happens anyways i'll get out of here for now but don't forget to do all the things that you know how to do because you're an adult to support this show if you enjoy it you find it interesting you'd like to share it you'd like to review it please do. Please let us know. It means a lot. And we'll see you next time.